Greetings and welcome to Shnayim Mikra, the podcast series developed and sponsored by the Orthodox Union, hosted here at OU.org. In each one of these podcasts, we read, translate, study, and analyze one of the aliyot of the current week's parasha. My name is Yitzchak Shalom, and I'm honored to be studying a lovely parasha, Parashat Balak, uh, with you here uh, on this series this week. And as I mentioned earlier, uh, nearly all of Parshat Balak takes place away from the uh, camp, and it is really the only parasha from the beginning of Shemot all the way through the end of the Torah, in which uh, almost all of the action takes place with Am Yisrael being in the background, and uh, really in our case, uh, two, and a, a few extras, but two uh, non-Jews who are conspiring to hurt us in the foreground. At the point that we pick up now, in the beginning of the Aliyah, which is at Perak Chaf Bet, Pasuk Chaf Alf, chapter 22, verse 21 in Bamidbar, Bilam has, for a second time, uh, initiated a dialogue with HaKadosh Baruch Hu in a dream, in a vision, and God says to him this time, he relents and says, you may go with them, but you have to, to maintain what I, what I'm going to tell you. And, uh, what we, what I did in the la- at the end of the last podcast was to peek a little bit ahead and see that nonetheless God got angry when Bilam went with, um, Bel Balak's second more honored and more numerous delegation. And I shared the Ramban's explanation as to why, so we'll, we'll move ahead from that because there's a whole lot else to talk about in this aliyah, which is just splendid. Uh, Rashi points out on the spot, uh, quoting the Gemara from Sanhedrin, that uh, you see how much hatred can do that a fellow like Bil'am, who is honored and is wealthy and is distinguished, we assume all that, of course, nonetheless um, saddles his own donkey, even though he has lads and assistants to do it, because he's so intent on going to curse Am Yisrael. So he goes with these with these princes. Now, Again, I spoke last in the last podcast about why God, ang- God got angry that he was going, and now what plays out? An angel of Hashem stands l'satanlo. L'satan literally means to push him aside. Now, is the angel there to stop him from going because God's angry that he's going and he shouldn't go? Evidently not, because in the end, not only does he does it not stop him from going, but when Bilam finally realizes it's a malach, uh, he says, shall I go back? And Malach says, no, you go, but you got to do what I say, which supports the Ramban's approach that Bilam's going was not the problem, but what Bilam had in mind when he was going was the problem. He thought he was now going to go curse the people. The answer was, no, you can go, but you got to go on my terms. He was riding on his donkey, um, on a she-donkey, actually, and he has two lads two assistants with him. Immediately, this picture evokes for us an image that we know very well from, coincidentally, the same number chapter in Bereshit, chapter 22, and that is the most fa- the famous pilgrimage of Avraham to the Akedah, in which Avraham goes with his lad. He saddles his own donkey, gets up early in the morning, has two lads with him. A malach intervenes. There are many, many, many parallels I've written on it. Uh, there's an article in the YU Tanakh journal of the beginning of the century called uh, Nachala in the second volume. Uh, the interested reader is directed to take a look there. But the um, the many parallels uh, here 
uh, seem to indicate that this story is something of a comment not only on the Akedah, but it draws two characters together that otherwise would really not be in any sort of association or apposition. And that is Avraham and Bil'am. The interesting thing is that when the rabbis speak about opposite pairs, um, opposite a match of opposites, Moshe versus Paro, uh, Haman versus Mordechai, uh, David versus uh, Avshalom perhaps, or David versus Shaul even, you, you uh, essentially have two people who interact with each other in their lifetime, and uh, one is either contrasted with each other, with the other, or one out, uh, overcomes the other, or one succeeds where the other fails. And Chazal, in several places, the rabbis in several places, uh, identify Avraham's opposite number, not as Nimrod, not as one of the four kings, not as the king of Stom, uh, not as his father, but rather this character from much later in history named Bil'am. I believe that the reason they get that, and it's most notable in the famous piece in Pirkei Avot, where we have three characteristics of Avraham and the exact opposite characteristics of Bil'am, that they get that from the many parallels between this story and the story of Avraham. But in any case, I said I've written about that, and it's an interesting reader is directed to to take a look there. Uh, So the donkey who sees what Bil'am can't see, so much for his superior sight. He sees the angel standing there, and the angel is standing with a sword drawn. So the animal, of course, is scared. He moves off the path. So you're trying to get somewhere. You're on a, on a, uh, on a uh, journey to get somewhere, and you're on the main road. And the donkey goes off the road and goes into a field. So what's Bilam's reaction? It's actually a pretty understandable reaction. Bilam whacks the donkey to try to set it back on the path. What happens? So the Malach stood in the paths of the vineyards that they were going through. There's a wall on each side. The Malach is standing there, which means the donkey has nowhere to go. Because the donkey is still simply trying to avoid the angel. So what did it do? It moved against the wall. And what happened? Bilam's legs are straddling the donkey. So the leg that's on the side of the donkey moving towards the wall, about So it, it now was hurting Bilam's legs. Not only is it off the path, but now it's hurting Bilam. He hit it again. So the angel moves ahead. And it stood in a place where there's now no more passage. This is uh, a one-way street, and there's a moving van parked in front of you. There's nowhere to go. And now it just sat down. It just uh, crouched down like a donkey or many of the animals, uh, beasts of burden do when they're resting. He hit the donkey a third time. Now, notice the intense, the increasing intensity of the donkey's stubbornness or donkey's unwillingness to cooperate from the perspective of Bilam. The first time it goes off the path. The next time, it moves against the wall, so it hurts Bilam. The third time, it's on strike. It's not moving anywhere. This is what Bilam sees. So Bilam strikes it three times. Each time, uh, it's, he strikes trying to get it to move. But notice, each time, it's getting worse. Because the first time, at least, the donkey's moving, but it's moving off the path. The next time, the donkey's moving, but it's hurting the, the owner. And the third time, the donkey's not moving at all. <clears throat> so now what happens? 
Vayiftach Adonai Piaton. God opened up the mouth of the donkey. Vatomer Levilam Me'asiti Lecha Ki Kitani Zeshalosh Regalim. Why? What have you? What, what have I done to you that you've hit me three times? Now, this opening the mouth of the donkey clearly a miraculous event. Whether or not Bilam heard it, or this is a new wine which Bilam is experiencing it, but clearly a miraculous event also is clearly laden with lessons for Bil'am. And there are those who have suggested that this entire sequence of three times in which Bil'am thinks he's in charge of the donkey, turns out the donkey is really in charge of him and is leading him astray, and three times that the Bil'am tries to correct the donkey and the donkey does not accept his lesson or his correction, uh, is foreshadowing what's going to happen to Bil'am a little later on when he tries three different times to do the wrong thing, and Hashem stops him and directs him, and Balak figuratively whips him. And then there's, of course, a fourth time following the common literary pattern Tanakh of three plus one, the fourth time, which is the denouement, which is what we see here, when God opens up the mouth of the donkey and says, what have you done, why have you hurt me these three times? And so Bilam turns to the donkey and says, Kitalalpi, you're teasing with me. If I had a sword, I'd kill you now. Which, of course, shows you several things. First of all, Bilam's talking back to the donkey. Very, very strange. The second thing is that Bilam is saying to the donkey that I don't have the power to kill you, but if I did, I would kill you. Which is Bilam, to some extent, admitting his lack of being a full owner or master over the donkey. And the third thing, of course, is that Bilam is willing to hurt himself out of his own anger. Meaning he's so angry at the donkey, he would kill his own form of transportation. That's like uh, getting mad because uh, your car is sputtering, so you drive your car off a cliff or, or, or destroy it. Uh, there's no sense in that. And that's exactly what he would be doing. He's so angry at the donkey that he would be willing to hurt his own donkey, his own mode of transportation. What's the donkey's response? I'm your donkey. I've ridden from ever till now. I've been your donkey forever. Did I ever endanger myself? Seems to be what the word means. To do something like this? In other words, you must realize this is not my normal behavior. You must realize there's something else going on. And Bilam has to begrudgingly admit, And now what happens? God opens up Bilam's eyes. Which means, God is now teaching a powerful lesson to Bilam. Because Bilam, earlier on, at the beginning of this parasha, was ready to say, God won't let me go. But then what happened? God let him go. He thought he could now go and do whatever he wants. The answer is, God controls. You will only speak what I tell you to say. You will only see what I let you see. I'm in charge. And the more that a Navi has power, the more he has to realize that. A lesson, take a look, for instance, in Shmuel Aleph, Perak Tetzayin, and listen on the Nachyomi shir that I gave on that Perak, about the profound lesson that God taught Shmuel when he misidentified the uh, the intended king and thought it was Eliab. <coughs> now, Bilam sees the Malach. Again, the sword is drawn. He gets off the donkey and prostrates himself before the Malach. And now the first thing Malach says to him is, not, why are you going here? I told you not to go. But rather, why are you hurting your donkey three times? I went out. I'm the one who went to move you aside. And moved aside. Moved from me, away from me three times. 
Well, why not the Tam Panai? Maybe it would move the side. In other words, this is one upsmanship. Bilam says, if I could, I would have killed you to the donkey. So the, so the Malach says, you know what? Maybe I would have killed you and let her live. So now what happens? He admits, I've sinned. Which again means that, and this totally supports the Ramban's perspective on God's anger earlier, is that Bilam admits that his willingness to go with Sarai Moab was not really wholeheartedly under God's direction of accepting that whatever God would tell him he would do, but rather he really intended to curse. And now he says, But here he says it in a small way, I sinned, meaning against my donkey, I didn't know you were standing there. But if it's really bad that I'm going, I'll go back. Because as far as Bilam goes, it's either okay to go or not okay to go. There's nothing in the middle such as okay to go, but I still got to be careful what I say. So we have to get that lesson across again. Go with these people. And one question you have to ask at this point, when we talk about these people, is what are these people doing? Where are Sarai Moab? Have they gone so far ahead? Hard to believe that the people who came to bring Bilam, who was reticent to go and said, God won't let me go, are suddenly uh, way ahead and they've lost track of Bilam and they don't see any of this going on. The donkey wandering off the path. What, where are they? So one suggestion, based on the Rambam's general approach to Nevoah, is that this entire scene is a prophecy that Bilam is experiencing, which means it's a prophecy he's having while in his bed. In other words, the donkey, the malach, the vineyard, the wall, all of it are part of a Nevoah prophecy that Bilam is experiencing, <clears throat> and the people are not, this is not happening in real time. So he says, Lechim Anashim, go with these people, but remember, one thing, what I tell you, that's what you're going to say. And now he goes ahead with them. And now finally, now the other side of the, of the coin. Now on Balak's side, he hears that Bilam is coming. He comes to greet him to the city of Moab. So where does he meet him? He meets him at the boundary of the Nachal Arnon, of the Arnon River, which is right at the edge of Moab. So he says to him, His first thing is not Shalom Aleichem. His first thing is not, I'm glad you're here. He says, I already called for you. Why didn't you come the first time? Would you think I couldn't honor you? In other words, he makes it sound as if the fact that the first time when I summoned you, I didn't offer you gold and silver. You didn't think I would take care of that? What's Bilam's answer? I'm here. But I can't say anything. Whatever God puts in my mouth, that's what I'm going to say. Now notice an interesting thing that Balaam generated. The master it's generated is that the end of each one of these first three aliyot comes ends with the same theme is that whatever God tells Bilam, that's what he's going to say. The first one is, you're not going to go at all because this nation is blessed. The second one is, I'll allow you to go, but you'll only say what I will tell you. And the third one is, Bilam now saying, clearly and explicitly to Balak, I am absolutely constrained by whatever God tells me. A critical difference is that when Bilam is at home, speaking to the delegation, he says, whatever Hashem, he says, Yud Kevavke, says, I'm going to keep. Here he uses the more generic word Elohim, which may give an opening for Balak to think maybe we can appease this Elohim 
through korbanot, through magic, through whoever it may be, <clears throat> that will give us an opening in order to curse the people. That we will see with the um, strategy, as it were, that um, that uh, Balak employs at Bilam's behest when we begin the first scene of Kalah Ubracha. But we'll leave that for the next podcast. In the meantime, we should have a wonderful day.